Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Alex Lewis. This week, I had the pleasure to speak with Digital Minister Audrey Tang. Audrey gives a brief overview of 2018 as Digital Minister, a little bit about what we can expect in 2019, and fields a few other questions that I wanted to ask. Uh, so let's start with your, I guess, like a a review of 2018. Like mm. what, what happened during the year, and uh, your thoughts on it? Sure. Yeah, in 2018, uh, we passed the Social Innovation Action Plan, which is a four-year plan that's for the first time um, highlighting the sustainable goals, the 17 global goals, um, as the motivating common goals for all the different sectors. Because previously, uh, although Taiwan already has a National Sustainability Council, it is mostly top-down, meaning that the government decides what it commits to, what we're going to put in the voluntary national review, uh, things like that. It's a very much a public sector thing. Um, but with the Social Innovation Action Plan, uh, we're now calling uh, all the, for example, the CSRs for publicly listed companies, the USRs for uh, academics, for universities, um, the social enterprises, the social sector, um, as well as the private sector, um, putting their work together and into a common index so that we can shape um, a uh, system of uh, the social environmental challenges that was uh, previously caused by for example, capital with unknown impact and unaware actors to make them gradually more aware uh, into capital that avoids harm, capital that benefits the stakeholders, all the way to capital that contributes to solutions. And this is what we call uh, social financing. And so this is a uh, four-year action plan that uh, gets much more resources from the various sectors, not just the public sector. Okay, so this is kind of just uh, <coughs> implementing big data in terms of just affecting change, right? In the sustainable goals, uh, we, we talk about not exactly big data, but reliable data. Mm. Uh, big data only means that it, it, it's a lot and it, it flows quickly and there's a large variety and so on. Uh, but the core uh, issue we're tackling is that, for example, uh, in terms of air quality, there's various different actors. There's citizen scientists, there's the Environmental Protection Agency, there's various other people monitoring uh, various parts of the, the air. Um, but the most important thing is for them to uh, respect and trust each other and mutually use those uh, different uh, microsensors and so on uh, to get a more holistic picture of, of what air quality is like and to correlate the human interventions with the air quality and so that everybody gets the idea of what the air quality is. Um, instead of, uh, you know, everybody looking at just one uh, part of the picture. And so reliable data, I think, is the main theme of the previous year of 2018. We use distributed ledgers, also known as blockchains, uh, to make sure that people um, trust each other to not modify uh, the numbers that each, right. each uh, party produced. And we encouraged um, effective partnerships by way of uploading, aggregating all this data into the uh, common, what we call civil IoT infrastructure. Uh, and you can find it on CI taiwan.gov.tw and it offers in uh, internationally compatible formats um, the air quality, meteorological data, disaster recovery, earthquake um, detection and prevention, as well as water quality data. And so uh, we see a lot of people using machine learning and other new technologies to take uh, a look at these numbers and work uh, alongside humans uh, in what we call assistive intelligence or AI uh, to work with uh, people who detect water leakage, for example, and save them time uh, by saying uh, maybe today 
you would like to first look at those three spots because they're most likely to have uh, water leakage based on the pressure data and, and other flow data and so on. And so, yeah, this, of course, relies on big data, but the most important thing is that data is multi-sourced. Everybody can be a data producer and, and that it is on apparatus that enables mutual trust. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, so basically, you're just building a foundation for that mutual trust in most sectors, it's not just for air quality, it's for you know everything, right? Water right. pressure and also just That's anything right. else in terms of mm-hmm. governance. What kind of data is the most beneficial mm-hmm. for, I guess, your role mm-hmm. as digital minister? What kind mm-hmm. of data do you look at, kind of like metadata and all that stuff? Sure. Well, first, I look at the, the national budget as well as the city level budget. Uh, but it's not just me who look at it. But rather, uh, we invite everybody to look at it through the joint the GOVTW system. Uh, in uh, 2018, we invited all the different ministries to upload all their KPI, all their um, spending, procurement, and so on into this um, shared platform. So um, by uh, 2018, there's around 1,300 um, national projects, uh, each one uh, maybe one year, two year, four year, or up to nine years, uh, and everybody can see in join the GOV, the, the TW, uh, what all the different ministries is up to, uh, what are their priorities, and you can actually drill down into any particular um, ministry, mm-hmm. um, and so that uh, you can see how it's doing uh-huh. uh, and what kind of spending, what kind of procurement, what kind of research they've gone, and, and so on. And it's not just read-only, uh, but the data is what we call a social object, meaning that uh, it converts this data into topics for discussion. So we can see that the people are most interested in talking about, uh, for example, water sanitation, long-term care, uh, social housing, mm-hmm. and things like that. And the um, responsible authorities uh, actually goes here yeah. and every quarter. Okay, so it's like project management with public feedback. Exactly, and everybody can ask questions. Wow. And, and every quarter, people go back and do a public reply okay. uh, of what people's questions are. Okay, what kind of questions do you usually get? Is it mostly just like, help me understand something, or just like, this is my specific need that I want addressed? Like, what, what kind of a... Yeah, but both, both kinds. Uh, okay. So the clarification, the informed side, because um, the, there's a lot of jargon and, and a lot of uh, specific terminologies that are not necessarily um, everybody's common knowledge. And so we see a lot of just asking for clarification. But we're also seeing people sharing their authentic experience and feedbacks uh, of how this public project is personally affecting them and asking uh, for a directional change or a at least something that um, can better fit uh, their specific need. And so that is also very much treasured. Uh, and of course, there's also um, just simple questions like uh, there's a, a Kimman Bridge, for example, that people see the um, accumulated uh, spending is actually going downward. Uh, but the accumulated spending uh, should not actually go downward. <laughs> so, so people actually went, went here and asked what, what, what really is going on. Um, and um, people uh, responsible for that particular construction actually went here and did a specific reply explaining why the accumulated spending uh, mm-hmm. actually goes down. And so the original question is very simple. It just asks, um, is the picture wrong or what? Uh, but then the an administrator just uh, replies that the vendor, uh, for example, has uh, defaulted on a lot of construction targets and they canceled the contract. They have to find a new vendor and so on. And so there's a temporary uh, stage where they returned um, the, the procurement money and so on. And so um, after explaining this once, 
um, they don't have to respond to 40 phone calls because everybody can just go to a search engine and see uh, the explanation. And people who ask follow-up questions are actually asking based on this understanding. So they don't have to repeat this answer over and again. Okay. Uh, so it seems like you're really streamlining and making just work more efficient. Uh, do you have any like numbers or, uh, I guess, anecdotes that mm-hmm. you can tell me that like sure. kind of just the... Uh, yeah, right. Uh, in terms of numbers, uh, the join platform now has, I think, more than 5 million users uh, out of 23 million people in Taiwan. And so, yeah, almost a, a quarter of the netizens uh, understand that um, they can petition uh, for a good idea, for a new idea. Like last year, we see the first uh, fruit of our co-creation, the new text filing system for Mac and Linux and tablet systems uh, that was co-created by petitioners who thought that the um, text filing experience of 2017 is, quote, explosively hostile, unquote. Uh, And so we (laughs) basically just invited everybody who complained to the kitchen, so to speak, and co-created a text filing system. And so that's the e-petition. And then all the regulatory um, announcements are put on the top section and the budget are on the supervised section and as you can see there's all in all the three sections there's are literally hundreds of topics currently actively debating okay in my research I noticed that you practice troll hugging mm-hmm, yes. you tell me a little bit about that uh, how you got into it mm-hmm. and uh, I guess uh, how do you go about it like you know how do you approach a troll and how do you kind of like de-escalate the situation and things like that so um, I got into troll hugging because I was uh, troll hugged <laughs> when I first uh, um, participated oh, in, really? the, so in, in the online you were, you were a troll. Yeah, I, I was a troll actually, oh. um, and and not not necessarily intentionally though, because my my English w- wasn't that good. Uh, and so when I first participated in IRC and and other online communities, there's some um, utterances uh, that I just didn't know what the right way to put it. And so it may, it may uh, come across as rude or attention-seeking or, or whatever. Uh, but So it's not really intentional. <laughs> but the Pearl community is very well known of uh, being very, um, not just tolerant, but actually very inclusive uh, of its um, members. And so um, people gradually let me know that um, the parts that I um, authentically reveal about my experience, uh, they care very much about. And But the um, um, rhetorics uh, or whatever part... Uh, that come across as rude or whatever, they just, you know, pretend that they <laughs> didn't see it. <laughs> and so this is very much a, a pro-community thing. And, mm-hmm. and so I was educated in that environment. And I, I think, um, so nowadays when people just um, summon me, quote-unquote, uh, by mentioning my name on PTT or on other online forums, um, basically I just reply as soon as I saw it, uh, usually within 60 minutes. Um, but I only respond to the parts, again, uh, that are authentic, that they share their own experience. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is that mo- most trolls just want attention. Uh, but when you uh, feed the troll, so to speak, is uh, when you reply only to the part that, um, that are provoking. Uh, but then mm-hmm. that kind of response tend to be transactional because it doesn't sustain long-term relationships, right? So right. the trust wakes up still feeling empty and trusts somebody else instead. Uh, so, it, but only by re- responding um, to the part that are authentic can I gradually draw out more authentic experience from the troll and then invite them uh, to my uh, Wednesday office hour in the social innovation lab so I can give them a physical hug and, and then 
they become co-creators essentially. And so uh, all this troll hugging is basically to make um, transactional relationship ba based on you know emotions uh, into more long-term relationship based on authentic experiences. Okay. So don't feed the trolling part. Feed the person. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Feed the person inside the troll. Uh, so what's coming up for 2019? Hmm. Well, um, first first of all, uh, around the end of uh, 2018, we passed quite a few uh, laws that we're going to implement in 2019. For example, there is this um, Autonomous Vehicle Act, and Taiwan is the first uh, jurisdiction to pass the law that allows for autonomous driving um, sea, air, and land vehicles. And so hybrid vehicles, so to speak. And so um, every day, actually, uh, in the social innovation lab, I uh, work with those autonomous driving vehicles. Um, it, it is not um, science fiction for me. <laughs> they're, they're just going around in the uh, social innovation lab literally every day. And, and this is how they look like. They're self-driving tricycles. Uh, yeah. They kind of look like carriages. They do look like carriages. Yeah. Uh, and... and they're very easy to, to tweak because they're open hardware and open source. So we have a lot of college students now just tweaking them. For example, um, the, the eye of the first iteration uh, look kind of like a cyclops, and people don't find it very uh, natural. So now that they have two eyes, and the eyes can blink, uh, and they can make eye contact with you, uh, and, and can use all sorts of different um, nonverbal expressions <laughs> to signify its intent and, and things like that. So what we're, yeah, what we're doing is essentially uh, making experiments fields, what we call sandboxes, so that the AIs can co-evolve uh, with the humanity and respond to actual social needs instead of like a top-down way. And so um, coming in 2019, uh, in addition to the social innovation and so on, we're going to have the Shaolin Smart Screen City, Science City uh, in the um, Tainan, uh, just outside the uh, high-speed rail station. And so you will see a lot of those autonomous vehicles. It could be flying, it could be um, part of a boat that becomes a car, and so on. Um, doing simulations <coughs> and contests and experiments within the SGSC, the Science City. And what's, um, the, and what's the end goal of all of, the, of, all of this work? Uh, so that by the end of the year, uh, we can actually put some of the autonomous vehicles to work. Uh, because the Regional Revitalization Plan, which is, again, another uh, very important uh, thing coming this year, is to make sure that the people who are living in um, the regions that uh, are suffering from um, uh, like a declining population or a not healthy uh, aging uh, structure and things like that, uh, to rediscover the uh, good livelihood and the DNA of their local identity. And many of mm -hmm. uh, these uh, regions told us that autonomous um, like drone delivery uh, is actually one of the key things that will change their life uh, because they don't have to drive uh, a lot to uh, get, for example, medication or essential supplies or things like that. And, and so in these areas, we're considering to apply the Experimental uh, Autonomous um, Vehicle Act to make sure that they can uh, be the first one to benefit from uh, self-driving vehicles by enabling a much uh, better and on-demand uh, supply system uh, for them. Uh, and of course, some of them, as you can see, are on remote islands. And so maybe self-piloting ships will actually be able to solve many of their, um, you know, uh, transportation missions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's really addressing inequality. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, 
Okay, and can you tell me about the non-binary ID cards, mm -hmm. the, uh, that push? Sure. So uh, what we're um, considering now uh, is a, a new EID system that combines the, the two uh, existing IDs, the Shenfengzhen the National Identity Card, as well as the Zhen the Citizen Digital uh, Certificate. Right. So these two, once combined together, uh, become what we call the new EID. Right. Uh, and there's um, a lot of people uh, with ARC or other ways of staying in Taiwan uh, who didn't know that actually the Zhen the citizen uh, certificate, is actually not limited to um, people with the um, ROC uh, identity. Uh, actually, people with other passports who happen to, to stay here can also get a uh, digital certificate. Not many people know about this. So we're going to make a concerted push uh, to enable the foreign people know that uh, they can actually also get a uh, EID that are um, um, both good as a uh, IC card as well as a NFC card, meaning that it's, it's touch-based and you can access a lot of um, government services based on this new ID. And the best thing is that when you get this new EID, um, the second digit uh, is going to be a digit, not a letter. So currently it's AC something, AD something for you, uh, but uh, now it could be uh, a eight something, a nine something. And so um, it will be much easier, uh, for example, to get a railway card using the uh, Chinese uh, system, um, you know, language, the traditional Chinese system of the current railway system only omits the second uh, uh, digit um, not, and not the second uh, letter, uh, as well as uh, movie tickets, many other online services that are currently making a almost a discrimination uh, based on the format of the national ID. And that's going to be changed this year. Okay, excellent. Uh, and where in that uh, plan are we? Oh, we're uh, basically uh, we're confirmed <coughs> that uh, we're going to revise uh, the second digit uh, into a number. Uh, and we're um, confirmed that uh, the foreign people will uh, be able to uh, use the same format of the digital certificate card. And so all that remains uh, is to actually settle on what to display on, on this card and what to uh, put into this card and what to store uh, in cloud-based systems and so on. And that is still being hashed out. Um, and I think uh, the rolling out uh, will be gradual, meaning that it will be uh, opt-in uh, at first, uh, and uh, the all-pervasive um, rollout, I think it's scheduled uh, next year, actually. So this year is most about uh, pilots and experiments. And so, yeah, it, maybe you see some uh, pilot or experiment uh, call for um, service design or <laughs> call for um, beta testing or things like that this year. And uh, feel free to join. Uh, but once we get everybody's input and settle on the final version of the layout and so, and so on, then it will be rolled out next year. Okay. And next year, 2020. That's right. Okay. Very cool. And uh, it said that you code a lot and you like made your own language or contributed to one. Do you still code every day? Oh, yeah. I still code every day. At the social innovation lab. That's right, and right. and I also automate a lot of the chores uh, that uh, I face personally as digital minister, or uh, along with our colleagues, um, 
some of them find that it's very time consuming, for example, to order lunchboxes uh, individually and to collect what people are going to eat uh, before each meeting and things like that. So there's also an online system uh, that helps collect those uh, lunchbox ordering um, orders. And so everything that are chores for the public servants, we uh, automated using digital systems. Okay, is that just in your office or do you open that up to everybody? It's an it's a open uh, app market. So, so all the app that we wrote uh, is on the Sandstorm uh, app market. So everybody can use it, not just the um, public servant. Uh, but if your email address ends in something that gov.tw, meaning that you're a Taiwanese public servant, and then you can go to um, the ey.pdis.tw and uh, for free get your own hosting account and start setting up those apps. That lets you coordinate, for example, the to-do list, the online chat. And so just think of it like the, the Google Apps or Slack or Trello of, of today's productivity tools, but we have a free software equivalent that are hosted on cybersecurity-hardened infrastructure and all the public servants are uh, feel free to use it. And if you're not a public servant, you can still use it, but you can find your other hosting provider somewhere else. Okay, very cool. Um, all right, winding down, I just have a couple more questions. So um, what are some like social issues that are near and dear to you, mm-hmm. and uh, what steps do you take to, I guess, uh, to help? Right. So we, we already talked about our contribution uh, to the uh, water and um, ecosystem and air and climate change and things like that. So that's more of the, the environmental part. But I also care very much about uh, the equality of, of education. Um, so um, at the end of 2018, the legislation um, body passed the National Languages Act. Um, and to me, I think that that is a very, very positive uh, sign. Uh, not only that we're going to have a um, public television in Taiwanese Holoc uh, for, for the first time, in Dagi for, for the first time, but it also says that in the education system, if the school and the children want to get uh, educated in, for example, calculus uh, with, uh, for example, Stakilaya or Amis, <laughs> uh, and uh, the um, education authority must provide sufficient resources so that they can learn about any subject in any Taiwanese languages, including the indigenous and various Taiwanese languages. And I think it is a very, very new thing. And uh, previously, people think about uh, those language acquisition as, uh, as specific to the uh, what, what we call the, the, uh, mother tongue, uh, the mother tongue education uh, classes, so maybe a few hours every week. But this act is saying, no, uh, if you want, you can uh, get the entire basic education using what whatever mother tongue you would like. And so that calls for a lot of um, investment in the teaching uh, resources, in the basic uh, databases of indigenous and Taiwanese uh, languages, as well as uh, a lot of artificial intelligence, actually. We uh, had an agreement with the Mozilla uh, Common Voice project, as well as other AI researchers to make sure that people uh, can record and contribute their uh, spoken uh, languages and their vocabularies and things that then form a language circle uh, and using machine translation and so on to automatically translate, for example, between the six tonalities of the Taiwanese Hakka uh, languages. And so um, I think AI, again, as a assistive intelligence, will very much accelerate uh, the pace uh, of which that people can speak comfortably in their local uh, tongue and not uh, be treated as merely a dialect or an accent, but a fully recognized language and culture. That is awesome. Okay, very cool. Um, 
I feel like that maybe was under the radar because the English as a second language thing has been a really big push, you know, oh, how yeah. to make it bilingual yes. and stuff, right? Yes. You know, that That's taken, you know, all the headlines and the news and stuff. Uh, the, the bilingual thing, again, starts in the education system because previously uh, the kindergartens and uh, first grade and second grade, it's not the norm to be immersively taught in uh, English as well as like English plus mother tongue, right? Um, that That's by far not a norm. And so this kind of immersive uh, education, uh, previously there was, was a lot of regulations that kind of blocks or discourage this kind of education. So most of the bilingual nation plan is just to relax those uh, regulations. So we're not uh, going a top-down way. We're not saying that all the public service need to start writing English for, <laughs> for our uh, letters and for our uh, regulations and so on. But we, this is purely a responsive uh, strategy. So for people who are not, um, you know, do, do not consider Mandarin uh, as the mother tongue or Mandarin for them is harder to access than English, uh, for these people, for the foreign people, uh, I think uh, whatever regulations and whatever um, parts of public service that they use the most, we will uh, bilingualize that first. Mm. Uh, but we're not just, uh, you know, uh, in a top-down way doing everything because it will be um, actually not very productive right. and, and the public service will actually resist that kind of move. So what we're saying is that we're, we're putting the uh, people first and the uh, foreign um, people are, of course, uh, now also considered part of our citizens um, as evidenced by the new uh, EID plan. Okay, very cool. And uh, last question, uh, what are your thoughts on the November, November 24th election? Mm -hmm. You know, um, just what happened there, the mm -hmm. referendums, uh, the, mm -hmm. yeah, just your reflection on that. Well, yeah, I think the tallying uh, really need to be sped up. Uh, we suggest a lot of, like, automated tallying machines and so on for the CEC to consider. Uh, because if you work in the tallying booth and, um, you know, it, it's it's very hard work. <laughs> and some people actually stayed well until midnight uh, to finish their tallying work. Mm -hmm. If this continues for a few um, more times, I, I'm not sure that we can recruit sufficient uh, people to serve as... <laughs> The, the election uh, staff and so we really need to make their life easier and and when we make their life easier it, and it will of course using service design and other methodologies it will also make the uh, queue shorter uh, I think uh, reducing the queue as well as uh, making the tallying faster I think these are the two uh, things going forward that we're going to improve in the next election because the, the user experience was it's not explosively hostile, but it is somewhat hostile. <laughs> and I think we need to associate democracy with a, a good feeling and not a, a very long uh, waiting feeling. A big thank you to Audrey Tang for speaking with me, and thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please listen to previous episodes of Taiwan Talk, which can be found on the ICRT website, mobile app, or iTunes. You can also find more podcast offerings from ICRT, like the weekly news talk show Taiwan This Week with Gavin Phipps. Anyway, that's it for this week's Taiwan Talk. I'm Alex Lewis. Mm -hmm.